If you would please turn to the book of Hebrews. I'll be reading Hebrews 2, verse chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 in a moment. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we all, young, old, child, teenager, are desperate for your Holy Spirit to work that we behold and we see the glory of your Son given for the salvation of many, but we are particularly in need of seeing He's given for the salvation of us, of me. So work this way in His holy name, Jesus our Emmanuel. Amen. The Hebrew writer writes in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's Christmas. What the Hebrew writer just said is that God became a human being in the womb of Mary so that He could save us from our sins. Meaning, the consequences, the punishment that our sins deserved, and so that He could give to us Himself in mercy forever. This is the best Christmas gift of all that I just want to spend this Christmas Sunday unwrapping little presents of that gift. And so, adults, just hear it and believe Children, teenagers, listen, see, believe, and be saved by this, the greatest Christmas gift. So even though we all know that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus, it is easy to get caught up in the larger culture of Christmas and kind of lose that. And I love the larger culture. I'm not one of those anti-don't-sing-jingle-bells. I, I think it's fun and dreaming of a white Christmas and gift-giving and lights. But we know the real meaning of Christmas is about salvation. And that the baby in the manger is this messy fact that we are sinners and in desperate need to be delivered from God's judgment. God sent His Son to bear our judgment so that we sinners who are guilty could go free for eternity. That's the message of the angel on that night to the shepherds when He said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So what I want to do this morning 
is to show that when the angel appeared to Mary, he didn't do that out of the blue with no warning, no context. One of the most solid proofs of the truth of Christianity is that Jesus' coming fulfills hundreds and hundreds of prophecies written hundreds of years before He was ever born. You know, kids that are in here, I don't know if you know this, but if I take this part, New Testament out, the rest of this called the Bible here, that was all written and completed 400 years before Jesus was ever born. And what is in there are all these clues about the meaning of His birth, of His life, of His death, and of His resurrection. Sort of like a treasure hunt as you look through there to unpack the meaning of this Christ child. This is, this is how Peter, looking back, spoke about it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-11. to He writes, Concerning this great salvation, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, the book was there when Jesus was born, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time that the Holy Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So as we look briefly at these prophecies long before Christ came, it is like a treasure hunt of who and when and why this Christmas, this incarnation. So let's just take a look at a few of those. You start at the very first book of the Bible in Genesis and in chapter 12, verse 3, we read, God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The whole world. Of course, Abraham has a son Isaac, and that promise goes down to Isaac, not through his son Ishmael. Isaac has Two sons, Jacob and Esau. The promise goes down through Jacob. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This promise that God made. And Jacob has 12 sons. Jacob, his name's changed to Israel. But the promise of the one coming who's going to bless all doesn't go through all. 12, it goes through one tribe. He's coming from a tribe called Judah. That's what we read at the end of the book of Genesis in chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience 
of the Gentiles, the nations, is his. And so the promise to Abraham becomes more specific, saying that through Abraham is coming a king, a ruler, and that's the way the whole world will be blessed. And that ruler specifically is coming through the tribe of Judah. And then several hundred years later, God gave Israel a king named David from the tribe of Judah. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, King David. And God says to David through Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel 7 verses 12 to 13, these words. When your days are fulfilled, David, and you die, you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Unending. And so after that, in the song book of Israel, of the Jews, they would sing this song. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. And so, the king who is to come, who is going to bring the blessings of Abraham upon all the nations, will be a son, a descendant of David. And he will sit on David's throne and reign forever and ever. Okay, now that prophecy was a thousand years before Jesus' birth. And then, a few hundred years after that, after King David's time, came the prophet Isaiah, whom God said through him in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. An end, unending reign. So the Old Testament prophets get more specific. And then Micah, the prophet, gets even more specific, saying that this child from the tribe of Judah will be born in an obscure town called Bethlehem. 
as we read in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. <clears throat> now, with all these prophecies, long before Christ came, speaking of Him, there's this question, okay, but how will this son of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, born in Bethlehem, how will he be such a blessing to all the nations of the world? Well, God revealed that through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. As he writes, starting with verse 5 of Isaiah 53. But he, this one, the son of Jesse, David's dad, this lineage, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with His stripes, whippings, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And Yahweh, the God of Israel, has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. That's 700 years before Jesus was born. Where He says, because of, for the sake of, and in the place of our sin, God would smash this baby born in Bethlehem. Physically kill him. That's the end of him. How in the world is he going to rule and reign like the prophecies say if he's dead? You don't have to turn the page. You just stay there in Isaiah 53. Because he goes on. Start with verse 12. Therefore I will, he's already dead, but I will, God says, divide him a portion with the many. And he, Jesus, shall divide the spoil with the strong. How's he going to do that? Unless he's raised. He goes on, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and he makes intercession for the transgressors. How does he do that? Because he's raised. And so, Hundreds and hundreds of years before the angel Gabriel ever appeared to Mary to tell her of the virgin birth that she is going to have. 
we are told in Scripture that this baby, this Savior, would be from the house, from the tribe, the lineage of Judah. He will live a righteous life and he will be brutally slaughtered. And he would be put to death because of, or on behalf of, for the sin and the punishment that sin deserved of others. And he would rise from the dead and sit down on the throne of his father, David, at the right hand of God. And he would rule there, dispensing the blessing that had been promised to Abraham to not just Israel, but to all the tribes and nations and every families of the earth. And so when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born 2,000, probably 16 years ago. It wasn't a surprise. There was a book. And it just made those words in that book become really clear once he was born. He grew up, he lived, he suffered, he died, and then you see it. Ha ha! It's there, it's everywhere. I think that's what Peter, remember I quoted him earlier, what he's talking about, the prophets searched, who, when, what is it going to look like? Because they had pieces of the puzzle. And now that he's come, the puzzle's put together. And they could start to see clearly if they were on this side of Christ. Oh, that's what it looks like. All these Old Testament predictions kids on Christmas, they're like a gift. We open the gift and, oh my, there's another box wrapped up. You open that up. And as you open more and more up, the clarity of the gift, the ultimate gift, who is Jesus Christ, unfolds. Who is Jesus Christ to be known personally, or rather to be known by Him. That is the greatest Christmas gift. Would you listen if you want to turn or listen to the book of Hebrews for a moment? The Hebrew writer in chapter 10 summarizes this glorious Christmas day this way. Starting with verse 4, Hebrews 10. It is impossible for the blood of of bulls and goats to take away sins. Let's stop for a moment. All of the Mosaic law concerning animal sacrifices never meant that sins are dealt with or taken away by animals. The Hebrew writer throughout his book, is saying all those were put there by God very purposefully as pointers to the Christ child born on Christmas. Don't, let's, I'm going to go back again and read it again and watch the flow. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Well, consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Stop again. He's going to quote something that was prophesied hundreds of years before. And it's really coming from the mouth of the second person of the Holy Trinity. 
Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, if you could hear the baby before the conception, before the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, you can hear the second person who is God Himself say, Father, sacrifices and offerings, He means of animals. You have not desired, but a body in the womb of Mary. A body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings of animals, you have taken no pleasure. But then I, the second person of the Trinity, said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. So the writer to the Hebrews concludes, starting with verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God after having been raised, and waiting from that time until His enemy should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering Himself, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's Christmas. That's the Gospel. All of history, all the Old Testament prophecies lead up to opening the greatest gift in the universe. The Apostle Paul went around preaching this gift. And this is how he concluded it on one of his missionary journeys in chapter 13 of Acts. After telling the story of this great gift, he says, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, preached, to you. That's Christmas. The freedom from eternal condemnation. That's why Jesus was born. That's how 1 Timothy 1.15 concisely puts it. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Here it is. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, this is not just a message for teenagers and children. It's a message for everybody. But as I'm going to be closing here, I do want this morning to just say, kids, you're here because your parents have been bringing you here. You're raised in a Christian family. It's your culture. And it's a wonderful gift. And it's a danger because you can assume things about yourself. My parents are Christians. That makes me a Christian. And that's not true. So what I want to do over the next 10 minutes or so is share with you why I, as a young adult, acted, 
fled for refuge in this Savior, Jesus Christ. And that if you have not yet done that, why you should embrace Jesus personally. First reason. 31, almost 32 years ago, I, I desperately came to Christ because of, here's reason number one, I'm a sinner. Be, here's how it works. Because I became, not just theoretically aware, I always, of course we're all sinners, I became aware of the depth of my own very personal sin against my Creator. And, and that if there is a God, which I believe there's got to be, then He's holy, and that means really bad results for me as a sinner. Th this is how the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 3.23, For all, except for Christ, have sinned and fallen short the glory of God. I became aware of how sinfully wretched, dead to God I was. And everyone here in this room knows that about yourself. I don't mean just on the surface. I mean deep down how dirty you and so, 32 years ago, by God's mercy, I got in touch with my guilt. And I wanted to get rid of it. That's the first reason. I came to Christ because I am a sinner. The second reason I trust in Jesus is because of all my religious upbringing and the best moral codes of right and wrong and how to live. The Ten Commandments, which were always there for me in my life. The reason I came to Christ is because those moral codes, God's moral code, could not free me from my sin. And it can't free you from your sin. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul said it this way in his preaching in Acts chapter 13, verse 39. And everyone who believes in this Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The center of that is the Ten Commandments. God's instruction on right and wrong is true and to be obeyed. But it can never free us sinners. God's holy law. So, teenagers and children, moral instruction in your homes and in this church are right and they are true. But following those moral instructions of right and wrong can never, ever free you from your sin and your guilt before God. Only 
Jesus can do that. And He did it by His coming. A body you have prepared for me. 36 years later to be slaughtered on a cross as the one and only sacrifice for sin. So, that second reason I believe and I trust in Jesus is because moral codes of doing right and wrong or doing better than yesterday can never free me nor you from your sin. Third reason why I trust in Jesus is because the gospel is historically reliable and true. As we saw this morning, think about all the predictions, the prophecies written, codified, centuries before Christ ever came in the womb of Mary. And He fulfilled them to a T. This is God's way of saying, it's my work, this Jesus that's my plan to save anybody. So I happily trust in Jesus because He is the climax of historical, prophetic, predictive words. And you think about it, that confirms the message. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. And it's true. Fourth reason I trust in Jesus is because this child born of Mary was very human, but not merely human. He is the uncreated second person of the Trinity. God Himself who took to His person true humanity in the womb of Mary. No fellow created human being could ever die for my sins. It took someone of infinite worth and value who could pay such a price for so many. Jesus was a real baby, a real boy, and a real man. A real, genuine, 100% human being. But He was so much more. As the angel said to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Fifth reason why I cling to Jesus is the only Savior is because He has been raised from the dead. Really Historically, physically, and there is testimony historically to this reality by his close associates and up to one 
time, 500 persons encountered him post-death physically in his resurrection. And many of these persons, apostles and others, who testified, I touched him, I've seen him after he died, went to their own brutal death, refusing to say or deny that reality. Sixth reason I trust in, believe in, cling to, receive eternal life, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus is because that is the only way you could ever get Him. Is receive. You cannot earn or deserve the gift of forgiveness, of eternal life, of salvation now and in its totality in the future and the resurrection. It is absolutely free. And those who have it, have it by trusting in Jesus alone. Totally apart from any of their own good works which is great news because that this is what happened to me as a wretched sinner 32 years ago what I had just said means wretched sinners like me can be saved and finally I believe in Jesus because there is nowhere else to go for real and true and everlasting happiness and freedom from what I deserve. The Hebrew writer sums this up this way in chapter 10, starting with verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the gospel, the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. This is Christmas. This is the great gift of Christ in His purpose. Every person in this room can you could know that your eternity is filled with unending forgiveness and the promise of God in His glory given to you for His happiness forever. You could be assured this morning of your salvation from hell. Listen to how Romans chapter 10 verses 9 to 10 puts it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Because with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth 
one confesses and is saved. So this is the question for every person in here. Has God come to you and overcome your blindness to this message? Has He overcome your hardness of heart to see the glory, the beauty, the treasure, the joy that this message of Jesus the Christ, the Savior, for you? If you have not received this great salvation, if you have not personally received this Jesus, then cry, pray, beg, God, break my heart open to see and grab hold of and receive this gift. Never stop praying. Make me a believer. Oh, when that happens, you will confess it. You won't be able, to, you won't be able to, to help it. You'll confess. I know that Jesus didn't just die for the world. He died for me. And rose for me will be your confession. And so, here is how the great Christmas carol hark the herald puts it. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners Reconciled, joyful, all the nations through Abraham rise, join the triumph of the skies with angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, Christ by highest heaven adored Christ the everlasting Lord late in time behold him come offspring of the favored one veiled in flesh the Godhead see hell the incarnate deity pleased with man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn King. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light in life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die, 
born to raise the sons of earth, born to give the second birth. Hark the herald. Angels sing glory to the newborn king. So may the words of this great Christmas carol be the passion and joy of all our hearts as we now sing it. <laughs>